Are you guys ready to do it again this week? I am. I am totally pumped for this week's interview and how our guest made transitions, really some serious transitions in his life. Um, again, I got this quote. I had it last week, got it from my dad. I want to share it with you again this week. It's by Deharius Daniels. He says, transition creates a God gap between where you are now and where you want to be. He fills it with grace. So whatever your transition is, wherever you're going or whatever you're doing, just know that there is a light at the end of this tunnel. You are going to move on as my guest a few weeks ago reminded us, Jody Pastore, his favorite Bible verse is, it came to pass that you're going to get through it. And that gap is going to be filled with God's grace. You're going to look back and go, oh man, I got through that. So I really hope that these stories are inspiring you, that they're motivating you to push on, to go forward, that you're taking some life lessons from these people's transitions, and you're learning how to transition. You're learning how to grow. You know, King Solomon told us in Proverbs 4.23 that we should guard our heart above all else because out of it flow the decisions of life. And so as we're listening to these people and their transitions and learning from them, we're taking things that we can guard our heart, make better decisions, and grow as individuals and grow more into the image that God designed us to be. So if you want to get a hold of me, Tyson at TysonPriest.com. You can go to my website, TysonPriest.com. Reach out to me there. I would love to hear from you, hear your story of transition and what's happening in your life. Would love to walk alongside you and help you do that. I do one-on-one personal coaching. I have a group that meets every Tuesday. It's called a mastermind where we walk through and help each other transition from where we're at to where we're wanting to go. Most of those people are entrepreneurs. They're growing side hobbies into a business. Some of them have already stepped off the launching pad and are actually making their income and their living from what was once their side hobby. So listen, you definitely want to be a part of that. Without any further ado, here is today's guest, retired Navy SEAL commander, Mike Emhoff. Well, welcome. I am really excited to have our guest today. Um, Mike Emhoff is a retired SEAL commander, and we're going to get into some of the transitions and changes that God has brought him through in his life. So I'm super excited to have Mike with us today. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you, uh, Pastor Tyson. I appreciate it. So why don't we get into a little bit, I guess let's go all the way back. Um, as you got into the Navy, I assume at some point. Yeah. At a, yeah. So tell us how did, what happened there? How did you decide on that? Well, I was, I, I was in college, my senior year of college. I was still wondering, dear God, you know, I, I, I'm looking, uh, what do I need to do? And, and about January before I was going to graduate the senior year, God put it in my heart to be a, a military officer. Mm. Now, that just settled in my heart, and I pursued that. And so I went into the Navy, and eventually, after I was commissioned, I had a, uh, I appreciated the physical fitness of the SEAL teams. Mm. And so after I was commissioned, I, uh, shortly afterwards, I proceeded in that direction. And, and uh, I always liked physical fitness. I was involved in sports in high school, mm-hmm. uh, different sports. Okay. And so I was physically <clears throat> fit oriented over the course of my life, even earlier years. I like to exercise and run and do different things of that nature. And so the physical fitness of the teams attracted me and going into the Navy, I wanted to see the world, uh, <laughs> which I did. And I've been in a lot of places, uh, yeah. lived in a lot of places, done a lot of exciting things, but I, I wanted to do some exciting things as well. Parachuting, diving, this kind of, this kind of thing attracted me. Hmm. And so a key part was a physical fitness in reference to the teams and also for the Navy, uh, join the Navy and see the world. So we did that. And so that's cool. initially some of the things I, uh, I would say attracted me to, to the Navy and going into the teams. Okay. So how was, 
<clears throat> so you were fit, you're physically fit, I guess, to an extent, right? Playing sports in high school and everything. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. So what was that fitness like in comparison to Bud's? Well, that's, that's interesting, Tyson. You know, in reference to Bud's training, it's very interesting. We'll, we'll highlight that a little bit. I went through uh, a class <clears throat> 79, which was after class 78. Now, mm-hmm. class 78 was known as a class that never was. Oh. Now, that has an uh, interesting question mark to it. Yeah. You know, I say that someone, someone might say, Michael, you passed fifth grade math. I got it. But class 78 was known as a class that never was because nobody graduated. Now, really? in Bud's training, which stands for an acronym, it stands mm-hmm. for basic underwater demolition seal training. And going through the training, you can be dropped because you don't meet physical fitness or academic standards. Mm-hmm. You can be rolled back because you have an injury and you have to go back to another class. Okay. Or you can drop on request by ringing a bell on a asphalt grinder where we did physical uh, fitness training or calisthenics. Okay. And, and so you can <clears throat> ring the bell and get out of the class. So you can be leaving training or leaving that class in one of those three means. I started off in class 79, but I got rolled back in the middle of hell week, diagnosed with asthesial pneumonia, which meant I had fluid in my lungs. Now, okay. I didn't quit. I didn't quit. They pulled me out of the uh, on a night swim. Uh, we're in San Diego Bay, and and I was uh, taken to the hospital. And eventually, I I tried to get back to the class, <laughs> arguing with the doctors and nurses because I didn't want to go go through hell week again. Eventually, right. I got back before the end of the week, but they told me, "No, you're going to roll back." Mm-hmm. But they pulled me out. I didn't <clears> quit. And uh, in class eighty, I'll give you an idea since I mentioned hell week. At that time, Bud's training was devised into three main phases. You had your physical fitness phase, which culminated in a hell week. Mm-hmm. And you had a, another phase that was your land warfare demolition phase. Okay. And you had another phase, a dive phase. Now, me as mm. an officer, when I graduated, I was on six months probation. My first assignment from Bud's training was SEAL Team 2. My commanding officer at that time was Dick Marcinko. Mm. Uh, he did the book Red Cell Road Warrior. And uh, okay. uh, he was instrumental in reference to SEAL Team 6 start. And so uh, some people might be familiar with Marcinko, his name. So I will just mention that. That was my first assignment. Oh. But okay. you're on probation for six months when you get to that command. You don't get your insignia or trident just because you graduated from Buzz. You're still on probation. And they're examining you and to see if you're going to be able to, to stay with the program there. And so in the six months, you're evaluated. And if you get your a trident, that means they approved you. If you did not, then you're disapproved and you're going to be sent somewhere else to the fleet or somewhere else. Okay. But in class 80, to give you an idea of Hell Week, we started Sunday afternoon. Now, progressed during the week with me. The following Saturday afternoon, we, we finished Hell Week. Mm-hmm. And that's at the end of first phase. Now, as we f- finished I, I ponder this Friday night. I got a little bit of sleep. That means you're sleep deprived. You're being challenged physically, obstacle course, running. Anywhere we yeah. ran, but I went through training. We ran in boots. You always ran in boots. No matter where you went <laughs> to the town hall, you ran in boots. Your four mile time runs on Friday in boots, obstacle course in boots, soft sand runs in boots. Got so you. we come in boots. And uh, uh, so um, anyway, so you're, you're up during the week, and at the same time, it might be 3 o'clock in the morning doing rubber boat drills in the ocean coming ashore, and uh, you might be shivering on the beach, and they're hollering mm-hmm. at you because they're doing this uh, as well to mess with your mind. Sure. And this, is, this is a biblical principle, too, that we can okay. glean from, and that is perseverance. You've got to persevere, and you've got to be strong, and these are biblical principles we can give scriptures to back up. But right. persevering, God wants us to persevere. Like for Christians, husbands have got to persevere for their wives. Wives have got to persevere for their husbands. Yeah. Parents have got to persevere for their children. And Christians as a whole have got to persevere for America. Yeah. We've got to persevere and pray and intercede. And so uh, during that week, I got a little bit of sleep Friday night. So you sleep deprived. You have instructors, like I said, on the beach. <clears throat> I was on the beach three o'clock in the morning. They're hollering at you to quit. They're trying to get into oh, sure. your mind psychologically. So you're getting it from uh, 
from them as well as the elements that you're being challenged with physically. So it was an interesting time. And you see why when I got rolled back, I didn't want to go through it again. But yeah. I had to do it again. And I was down. My morale was down. I said, I, I, I'm not keen. So how this. did you, <laughs> let me ask you then, I mean, you had to go through that again. What kept you going? It's I just mean, the motivation, focus. Uh, focus. It's like, it's like Nehemiah. He built the walls in 52 days when he yeah. went around Jerusalem. You know, uh, uh, you know, um, Tobiah, I don't have time for you. Send ballot, please sit down. I don't have time for you. God has given mm. me this mission and I'm focused. And God yeah. wants us to persevere. It's like that in faith. Uh, we've got to persevere. You know, we don't go by appearances. We don't go by circumstances. We go by the word of God, which is our foundation. Now, at this yeah. time, I was not a committed Christian, but nevertheless, I had it <laughs> in my mind. I'm still going to go and focus and do this. Yeah. One thing, Tyson, some people need to understand as a young man or a young woman proceeding in life, the uh -huh. first time you quit on yourself and you quit on yourself, it's going to always be easier to quit the next time. So when you establish what you think you need to accomplish and you're focused on it, then you need to put forth the effort to accomplish it. That's a, that is a tremendous point that the first time you quit, it makes it the second time easier and then next time easier and so on. And I'm just wondering, um, does it, does it then at some point you're quitting and you don't even realize you're quitting, it becomes a way of life. I mean, oh, it can be, you can develop habits, but yeah. also we need to understand this, <clears throat> you know, God tells us we've got to be responsible and being responsible. If God has put something on our heart to accomplish in our lives and do for his kingdom, then we need to be focused to accomplish that. We go back mm. Uh, to see what God sees about responsibility in the beginning of the books, go back to Genesis. And when God came down to the garden, he says, Adam, I want to talk to you. And Adam says, what? It's not my fault, God. It's the woman you gave me. <laughs> and then what did Eve do? She said, no, it's not my fault, God. It's the yes. serpent. He tempted me. Yes. So we've got responsibility. God wants us to be responsible. When he gives us direction, he wants us to be obedient. And if we are, we'll have peace uh, yeah. in our hearts and we'll be pleased that we did what God has directed us to do. Yes. Absolutely. So you go back through buds and I know, I mean, I've heard, I've talked to other people. I know they're just beating the tar out of you physically and mentally trying to get you to quit, to march up the hill, ring the bell and so on. Yep. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, <clears throat> um, and there's really, if I understand it right, there's really no rhyme or reason as to why some people quit and some people make it right. I mean, it's just, well, that, no, no, you could be, for example, I'm like, like maybe about five foot eight. Uh -huh. You could be six foot three. Uh, you could play, uh, uh, six for three, 250 pounds, play linebacker for the Indianapolis Colts. Right. But that doesn't mean that guy's going to make it through training. It's between your ears, right between your head. And that's the mm. battleground where the devil will concentrate on us in our spiritual walks. Yeah. Uh, that's the battleground, you know, between your ears, you can be focused. It's, it's just, you're not going to succumb. You're not going to give in. You're going to persevere and you're going to do it. Um, yeah. it's easy. It's when you're tired and the devil will look at you when you're tired too, sometimes, and he'll look at the kinks. He'll look at the weak points, the avenues that he can approach you in, and he'll seize those moments. And so you're tired and buds training. You have the instructors yelling at you to quit. You just have to reject it. Like Jesus said, it is written, Satan. It is written. It is written. Yes, when he was right. fasting and he was at a <clears> point where he could have possibly been tempted, maybe in a greater way. But he said, no, Satan, it is written. I will not succumb. I will remain faithful to my God. And we've yeah. got to understand this as Christians. We say, no, Satan, it is written. It is written. When we're maybe at a weak moment, we still have to strengthen ourselves. Even in Ziklag, David encouraged himself. There was nobody right. else there to encourage him. So those that walk with God, we know if we're spending time with God on a daily basis, which we should be as Christians, yep. then we, uh, we know we can encourage ourselves because we have that intimacy with the Lord. Yeah. One of my... My life verse, one of the things that I cling to is 2 Corinthians 4.18, right? So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And yes. it's just really for me, it's about staying focused, right? Stay focused on the unseen, because that's what that's what lasts. That's where the, that's where the focus yes. needs to be. That this world, God one day is going to regenerate this entire world and change it. Um, it and so that's, we need to be focused on, on that. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think it's too easy in our culture to simply <clears throat> just do it about face change and do something else or go somewhere else. Or I didn't like that. That person rubbed me wrong. So I'm going to go over here instead. 
Um, and then we never spiritually mature. We never spiritually grow up because rather than going and talking to the person or working it out or whatever, we just about face, go someplace else and run. And then we never spiritually grow up and learn to deal with issues. Um, yes. Okay. That's enough of that. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't need to talk about that I, anymore. I so that's a good point. <clears throat> um, that's a good point. So we, so, so you're, you're going through buds. You, you've got this determination, not, you're not going to quit. Now um, I asked you, before we started recording, if you knew Christ during this time, if you were following Jesus at this time, and you said, I think you said no. Is that correct? That, that is, well, it's it's like this. I know of God, and I talk okay. to God sometimes, but I grew up with a, as a Catholic, with a Catholic background. I grew up thinking God basically had a big stick, and if he got out of line, you would get whacked. I went through the motions. I got to the point where I might have gone to church, maybe on Christmas, on Easter, thinking I'm still a pretty decent guy. Mm-hmm. But the personal relationship came a little bit later when I was in the military. And it goes back to my high school years where some good seed was planted. My wrestling coach, one of the sports I participated in in high school, he got me to go to a fellowship of Christian athlete camp in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, okay. that being said, uh, okay, I went. At the beginning of the week, they gave us Bibles. And I remember when they gave us Bibles to have some quiet time with the Lord that I'm thinking to myself, what did I do this time, coach? What did you get me into? <laughs> this is bogus. Why am I here? Get me out of this place. Yeah. This was my mental thinking. But by the end of the week, when I left that week of, of uh, visit, I, I came to the conclusion, there's something special about this week. I came back mm. and the Lions Club had a dinner. They sponsored me. And I went to the yeah. dinner and I said, in my young life, this is one of the best weeks I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And, and I went on record to say that. And I knew there was something special. And God planted seeds. And, and it's interesting for me how God uses different things to attract people. These were yeah. like college football mm-hmm. coaches, you know, quality athletes, well-known people. If that mm-hmm. had been somebody coming out of drugs where maybe that would, would attract somebody else, that probably would not have attracted me. But with that sure. being in athletics, which I was involved in, that attracted me. And I, I, I remember, though, that seeds were planted in my heart because there was something special about that week. Now, when I went into the military, I always retained something special. And God is not a pack rat, Tyson. In the shells of our okay. heart, in the shells of our heart, over the course of years, no matter what we experience, he can draw from things he's invested and draw from as he moves us and develops us in our walk mm. and destinies that he has for us. But wow, I remember, that's good. I, yeah, I, I remember, though, that these things were planted in my heart. And um, I was in Virginia Beach, Virginia, at, uh, East Coast teams. And uh, early in my military career, and I remember someone got me to go to a church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, Virginia Beach Boulevard, Open Door mm-hmm. Chapel. And interesting, even when I started attending this church in time, they, through CBN, would get a lot of interesting speakers that would come by and we'd have them at the church. So I got exposed to some really, really fine people in God. But I remember making, uh, eventually somebody got me to go there. And I, I, I first went and I left the church and people wanted to give me a hug. And I said, you know, it's like, <laughs> don't get close. I'm not, this, I'm not keen on this. Um, I, I wasn't real comfortable because I grew up sure. with a Catholic background. And if anybody mm-hmm. knows a little bit about that and, I remember they want to give you a hug and they're very friendly, but I kept coming back and eventually I made an altar call. And then I got a revelation of what was special about the FCA camp. It really hit mm. me very clearly. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit. I knew something was there. I didn't know exactly what it was. And that's when God brought me into the kingdom in Virginia Beach, Virginia. All right. Awesome. So now where are you at then in your life in Virginia Beach? Are you in the military at that point? Oh, yeah. I'm in the military. Yeah, okay. I'm in the military. And so uh, and then that's interesting. And, and I even did. I've, I've done eight Christian books. One of my books was uh, uh, Biblical Principles uh, I Learned in Military Career. And yeah, uh, yeah that, that's one of the ones I did. And and I rec- one of the reasons I have that book and I put it on my back table when I'm ministering because I minister as an evangelist now. But I have that book and I recommend it to people who have a son or daughter, a niece or a nephew in the military, friend in the military. 
a if they're a Christian trying to live for God, because yeah. in the teams it was like standard operating procedure. And anybody in the military, when I say SOP, they know exactly what I mean. Oh sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was SOP for if they could get your goat, if they could harass you and and mess with you, and that's not unusual for Christians in a lot of places. But they would really come after you, and, and because of that, it made me a lot stronger Christian. I'll give yeah. you an example for me. Um, sure. And this is interesting. I'll take tangents here, but this is interesting. <laughs> I was an uh, operations officer at one of the teams, number three in the chain of command. I had an E9 Master Chief uh, Petty Officer, E9 Master Chief Petty Officer. I think one uh-huh. day he said to me, hey, Mr. Imhoff, uh, you know, uh, you're going to go to church again this Sunday, are you? And I said, that's right, Master Chief. I thought he was kind of messing with me a little bit. So I turned, I said, Master Chief, that's right. I'm coming by your house to pick you up. What time are you going to be ready to go? I say this, Tyson, because Christians today, they want to put Christians into the corner. Mm-hmm. And they want to say, you just be quiet. If you say something about God, okay. But if you say something about Jesus, you're a fanatic. I right. got a definition of fanatic. It's somebody who loves Jesus more than you do. And <laughs> as long as he's not getting flaky. But sure. The, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. The, yeah. The thing of it is, we can't love God enough. We can't have enough reverence for him enough. God is awesome. He's not some picture on the wall. He's not a statue on the lawn. He's the living God. Yeah. It's like he said, living in light of eternity, because eternity is the main thing. We're only here for a season. But yep. I, 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 I remember saying that, and it just puts back to me because they were trying to mess with you. And I was letting him know that you're not going to make me feel embarrassed about believing in Jesus. Because when I came, I was in the teens when I came to the Lord and they started to see a change in me. And let mm. me spin on that a little bit. There's a difference yeah. between remorse and repentance. I could not wait to get home and read my Bible. When I got away mm-hmm. from the command, I got home. I wanted to read the Bible. But remorse, you can have that feeling that, oh, I did wrong. I did wrong. But it doesn't need to change. God said right. to repent. And you use the term about face, I think. You mean yeah. to turn the other way, see it in a different vein now. We are doing it God's way, and we want to do it that way. Yeah. So when somebody comes to the Lord, we should see some fruits. And I know when I got out of the command, I wanted to go home, read my Bible. I had a great desire to read the Bible. People started to see changes in me, some things I did before they didn't see me doing again. Mm-hmm. And so when they would harass me and so forth, I understood this. You're not going to make me feel ashamed. Of, of believing in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He means something to me, and I will not compromise my walk with him to please you. Yeah, that's true. And I, I love what you said there, that a radical is somebody who loves Jesus a little bit more than you do. Um, so this, this change is happening to you when you're in the teams and you're working um, with SEAL Team. Now, what SEAL Team were you a part of? Well, Tyson, I was th- different teams. I was a SEAL okay. Team 2, SEAL Team 3, SEAL Team 5. Uh, I, in my Navy career, I had three overseas assignments. Okay. Uh, been a lot of places. I have lived <laughs> for certain periods of time in Egypt, Israel, Panama, South Korea, Jordan. I've worked in Lebanon. I've been to Syria. I've been mm-hmm. to Sudan. I've lived in Sudan for a short, short while, Liberia. Been to Somalia, yeah. Mogadishu, Somalia. Mogadishu, Somalia is one dangerous place. I yeah, can that. I, yeah, they've. Uh, isn't that what the movie Black Hawk Down when that made? Yes. Is that am I? Is that what that was about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a, matter of fact, uh, uh, what General uh, Jerry Boykin? At, actually, earlier, uh, sometime back, some years back, I. I did a men's conference with uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin up in Gaylord, Michigan. We had about six to 700 men. But yeah. Jerry Boykin was involved with a spec ops phase dealing with Black Hawk, Black Hawk Down. Gotcha. Um, but anyway, that's a dangerous place. I've been to Afghanistan on two different assignments as well. Okay. So well, we've been a lot of places. Let's talk about the one place you were. Uh, I noticed that it, it's in your bio uh, um, on your website, and that is Lebanon, right? I think. Um, yeah, December seven. Yeah, I think your bio says December seventeenth, nineteen eighty-one. You guys, uh, you were hijacked. Yeah, I, I'll give you a little bit of background leading up to that. My first overseas okay. tour. Um, <clears throat> it, 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 interesting, you asked me that question because I want to highlight a spiritual principle that I was learning and I did not know I was learning it. 
Sure. And it's the, because God's word will always work positively or negatively on spiritual principles. You okay. reap what you sow is a spiritual principle. It's going to happen. So anyway, I was at the Naval Academy. I was in an instructor assignment position there. And I found out the SEALs had a billet or a position over in the Middle East working with the United Nations. Okay. Now, this United Nations tour, I would go as an observer and attached to this unit, and I would work with different nationalities. Mm-hmm. I, in this case, though, would not carry a weapon. They did not allow you to carry a weapon in this position. Huh. Okay. I would also was have the, a flat. Can I, can I ask what the logic sure. was in that? Well, you're a neutral observer, and okay. there was UNIFIL forces, United Nations interim forces in Lebanon that did carry weapons in Lebanon at the time, a different okay. organization. But we were neutral observers, and, and that's what was established, and that's the way it was. But I was a young Christian. Uh-huh. It, uh, from Virginia Beach, I went up to the academy for that position, and I had a keen desire to see the Holy Land, and I saw that, and I uh call the detailer that would be the one determining my next assignment in washington dc area Mm -hmm. and so uh, god opened the doors for me to get this position which i greatly desired because in the course of this 13 and a half months living in the middle east where i lived in um egypt for about two and a half months where i worked with soviet union officers which was interesting (laughs) and i worked i worked in georgia that was uh, yeah that's why why was what makes that interesting it was pre-Gladnos years. This was the time of the Cold War period. Oh, yeah. Well, Brezhnev true. 81 would have been. Yeah, right. This is Brezhnev time frame. Yep. And, and so, uh, I mean, <clears throat> I might be an OP duty in Ismailia at the Suez Canal doing crossings into the Sinai because the Americans and Soviets weren't allowed to go in. Other nationalities mm. were. And were coordinating crossing of the Suez Canal. I might be an OP duty, which stands for observation post, in Ismailia with maybe three Soviets and myself. And we had some interesting conversations. But getting back really? to this hijacking, yeah, yeah, from there, yeah. I went to Georgia for two months, and I went to Observer Group Lebanon, where I lived in Naharia, Israel, for about eight and a half, nine months, while we worked in southern Lebanon in teams doing duties in reference to this UN requirement. And uh, I got there from, I went to Egypt two and a half months, Jordan about two months. And from Jordan, I went there. I'm a new guy on the block, and I'm going to do OP duty with... Uh, uh, um, former Navy, uh, former Marine Corps captain. He made two-star general in the Marine Corps. Good guy, Gordy. Uh-huh. And so we we had him going on OP duty. He was already there, and a Swedish officer. Now the Swedish officer had been there a long time. He knew the turf, and mm-hmm. we're going to go overseas. So I'm going to pick that overseas over the border, working in southern Lebanon. But before we pick that up, I'm going to go back to develop this. So when I get back to that point. I got this position, and then I said I was a young Christian, and mm-hmm. I told my mother and others I'm going over overseas. There's a lot of turmoil in the Middle East at the time, and my mother's making comments: "You might get hurt, might not come back." And I said, "Let me, Mom, I'll, let, yeah, let me yeah. stop you just for a second for our listeners, for people that are listening that may not be familiar. Yeah. If and please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, at this time, we've got Yasser Arafat." in charge yes. of the PLO, correct? So yes, you got yes, the Palestinian yes. Liberation Organization fighting Israel. The Palestinians are not recognized as a, as a nation at this point. Um, a lot of terrorist stuff going on, firing rockets into Israel, and oh, it's and kind Petrus- of a mess. Kind of a Petrus- mess, right? Yeah, matter of fact, in June of 82 was a Galilean invasion when the Israelis put multiple tanks along <clears> the border <throat> and moved up and cornered uh, some of their elements there, You know, I think okay. in Beirut. Anyway, yeah, so we're uh, yeah, you're right. talking you're a pretty hostile. Emotion. Yeah, we're talking a pretty hostile um, environment. So. There you go. So my mother's making comments. I'm a little afraid for you, son. And I said, Mom, now this is where a man of God spoke into my heart, into my life as a young Christian. He gave me scriptures that where I would go would be um, actually it was Dick Mills. Mm-hmm. He gave me some scriptures where I would go and uh, I would be protected and, and God would be my refuge. And I took those scriptures and put them in my heart. So I already had that, you know, looking at those things. And my mom would say to me, she was prone to do this at times. I'm concerned about you, son. And I said, mom, I'm going to come back. I'm going to be safe. I'm mm-hmm. going to come back. And maybe a, another relative, you know, when I was back on leave before I left, might say something I said, no, 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 I'm going to be fine. I will be fine. I'll come back. Now let's fast forward back to southern lebanon so i report for duty and we go across the border into southern lebanon 
we proceeded to OPMAR, observation post MAR. And, and so Gordy stays at OPMAR for observation duties. And so the Swedish officer gets in, he drives, he knows the turf. I will sit in the Jeep and I'll use the handset for communication. I would grab the handset. We go through a checkpoint and we give the information out. <clears throat> Lebanon, and you highlighted some of this already. Uh, it was like a feudal system in many ways at this time. I mean, okay. you, had the Maronite, you had the Maronite Christians, you had the Druze, you had the Sunni Muslims, the Shiite Muslims, and you had Major Haddad, who was an independent operator operating in southern Lebanon. And so we would go through a checkpoint and I'd get the handset, give communication. That way they could track us and keep track on where we're proceeding. Okay. Well, what happens is we're coming up this long stretch. I have the handset on the side, on the, on the hook. So I, I'm not having it in my hand as we proceed because we have a long stretch. It looks like we're clear. So we're proceeding on this road and I'm looking at it right now, Tyson, in my mind. We've got a white sedan with a hood up. We start to slow to come around, and this is a narrow road, and we start to pass uh, as we uh, get close, closer to it. We're starting to come around, and mm-hmm. it looks like three Arab-looking men are underneath the hood looking for something in, wrong, in reference to the vehicle, like something could be wrong. So all of a sudden, as we start to move in that direction slowly, they run out from underneath the hood, running at our vehicle with weapons pointed at us. Mm-hmm. And I get the handset. I get a little information out. Gordy picked up some information. But I had to put it down because I've got an AK-47 being pointed in the direction of my head. Yeah. So I understood what these guys meant. And I knew I had a flag, the United States flag, stars and stripes sure. on my shoulder. Sure. The Swede had a Swedish flag. So they knew the country we represented. And so the Swede and I are out of the, the Jeep. We've got our hands up. And we're being told what to do. Now, remember, we don't have any weapons. They've got weapons pointed at us. Right. So we've got our hands up. We're being marched down maybe five yards, 10 yards apart. And this was a sloping ravine. This sloped down uh, on a gradual slope toward a ravine. And we're being marched down. The Swede and one parallel to me. And I'm on on the other side. Hands up. We're being marched Mm -hmm. down. Guns uh, with a separation of space. If you turn and run toward these guys, you're going to get shot. So there's enough space there. They, uh, they control the scenario. Mm-hmm. So as we're proceeding, I'm kind of wondering because we must have marched down 65, 70 yards. It was that gradual and that gradual was slope. And it was, as we proceeded, I remember thinking to myself, this is not right. I believe for yeah. my safety and I still did. I'm communicating with God internally, yeah. but I, I'm thinking to myself, this, this is not right. This is not right. I'm yeah. starting to be concerned because why am I being marched down toward a ravine this distance, this far? Hmm. And, and yeah. so, so, so do you have, it, it, it sounds like at that point, then you, you start to have some real concern as to whether or not you're ever going to come out of this ravine. Well, I'm believing I am, but okay. I, I, okay. I'm just saying my flesh wants to start to rise up saying like, gotcha. You've got, when your soul kicks into your spirit. The soul says, hey, come on, look, look at the situation. Look, look and see, look and see, which the devil yeah. will have you do. And I'm right. experiencing this right now. I'm seeing this terrain in front of me, and I'm coming down toward this ravine, and this is uh, whew, this is kind of a long <laughs> walk. What do you guys want to do here? So uh, the, you get to the point, they decided not to shoot us. We made our way back. We lost our vehicle, but this is what I want to highlight in all this. Yeah. This what I want to highlight to this is basically I believe my safety was established before I left the United States. And I say this because I didn't know I was learning this principle that I believe applied here. I went back and as I read my Bible and I came to like Mark eleven twenty three, 23, whoever shall sin in this mountain to be taken up and cast in the sea and not doubt in his heart, but believeth whatever he saith, believeth whatever he saith, believeth yeah. whatever he saith. Believe in what he saith, it shall be granted him. The next verse says, therefore, all things which you pronounce believe, you have received them, and they should be granted you. Now, that being said, I believe my words were establishing my safety. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Uh, I don't know if people know Lieutenant Colonel Rich Higgins. He was a Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel assigned to the same unit in the same area with the same organization. Okay. Sometime down the road, I think in 88, he was hijacked, and they showed his dead body all over the TV cameras and newspapers throughout the United States. 
I can just deal with myself. I believe my words were establishing, establishing my protection before I left. And that's yeah. why I, 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 and people will say, well, can you give me a couple of scriptures to back that up? Even reference to the scripture you said, we can go back to David. I'm going to paraphrase now. But David said, when he's facing Goliath, am I a dog? I mean, Goliath says to him, am I a dog? You come to me with sticks. I curse you by the names of my gods. You come to me and I'll feed your body to the fowls of the air and the beasts on the earth. And then David said, you come to me with spear, sword, and shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, of the armies of the living God, whom today you have defiled. Come to me and I'll take your head from your body and I'll feed the carcasses of the Philistines to the fowls of the air and the beasts on the earth. And they'll be known that there's a God in Israel and he gets the victory. My point on this was, David had that situation, but David said, David said, David said, Mark eleven twenty three is in there three times for saith, believe that's only once. God mm. is telling us something there. I believe this is a spiritual principle. It's the same way someone gets saved when they look at, <clears throat> uh, they look at uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the power of your words, but it's also the belief behind those words. Yes, right? I it, agree. I agree. That's it's, why when I was back in the States, I took those scriptures and put them in my heart. Right. It was there for you to lean on in that situation. Um, I know from a, I know from a spiritual standpoint, you know, the power of the belief in your words. Um, I believe that, like you said, before you left the United States, things, the ball was already in motion spiritually. You hid those words in your heart. Um, but any idea from a physical aspect, like, the the people that hijacked you guys like why they decided to let you go or how like did they just say walk off or what did they do well it's eventually they left us we lost our vehicle they did take our vehicle but they left okay. us i said okay. there's different groups as for which group this was uh i can't totally attest to sure because lebanon was like a feudal <laughs> system you can control different areas i mean you can hear the arabic uh, you can hear different things and so forth, but sometimes it can be hard to pick out from what particular group they came and what the motives, all the motives were. Uh, my point in all that is just to highlight, though, that God protected me. Yeah. And I know that yeah. Lieutenant Colonel Higgins, I don't know his situation. I use that for an example. You saw his dead body. They could have easily shot us and left us down there, but they didn't. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so I, I, I just give God all the praise and thanksgiving for his protection. Um, yeah. So what happens after that? So I guess they took your vehicle, which I assume they took we, we, uh, your ability uh, to communicate. We ended um, up walking and, and we ended up walking in some of the Unifil forces, <laughs> United Nations interim forces in Lebanon. Yeah. We eventually uh, got one of their, I think the Nigerian battalion. We eventually mm. got made our way to one of their locations and we got a vehicle to get back to her to uh op mar observation post mar and we eventually okay. we got back to tier lebanon where we had set up for operations which was home base when I we see. did these things. okay but you mentioned to me about the soviets you asked me about them yeah you One said it was an interesting wanted, conversation yeah we had interesting conversations that was about the first two and a half months i was down there in egypt and i'd be on op duty now observation post duty in ismailia in this case and uh some things people say you don't talk about, religion and politics, those were the two areas I went for. Oh, okay. But I could say something to them, because this was the time these guys were in Afghanistan. And I might make points about them being okay. in Afghanistan, and then they would counterpoint, well, what about you in Vietnam when they go previous years? I mean, America. And yeah. so you go point, counterpoint. And, and uh, we had some interesting conversations, but I came to this conclusion mm. that... You know, uh, as an individual, whether you be from the Soviet Union or wherever you may be from, all have the need for Jesus. And they all mm. have the same basic needs. Everybody in life has the same basic needs, but everybody has the need for Jesus as well. Yeah. And so I had a Soviet captain said, I thought Jesus Christ was a fairy tale. So I wanted to help him with his English because a lot of the Soviets would say to you, how do you guys, how do you Americans say this? How do you Americans pronounce this? Mm. And so I'm going to help you with your English. As I told the Soviet captain, I gave him some, this was time of some cassette tapes, but I gave him some <laughs> cassette tapes to help him with his English. And they were teaching on the crucifixion and resurrection. Had oh. a career mode. 
Nice. <laughs> nice. They thought I was a little bit unusual because I wasn't typically like the other Americans in reference to the Lord. You know, uh, what, what was it? Lenin or religion is the opening of the people. It's a crutch. Yes. And yes. it's hard for them being raised in a communist system to see somebody supposedly with an intelligent mind believing like that. And yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, it was an interesting conversation. They want to give me a book by Lenin for me to read. I said, I don't know. I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, they'd been indoctrinated with Lenin for sure. No doubt about that. So, Absolutely. yeah. Um, and just the, I mean, I've read, I have, I have read, I have not read Lenin. Um, I have read some stuff, but um, yeah, it's just ridiculousness, pure, pure silliness. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, and reference our country right now uh give you, a, yeah. you know, i've been to venezuela i've traveled extensively in, in venezuela i'm kind of digressing if you will on a point yeah, sure but since we're talking about communism and socialism uh i've traveled in, in venezuela i've been on the rio Orinoco river i've been to ciudad boulevard i've been to caracas mm-hmm. and i've worked with some venezuelans and even when i was ministering down in florida uh just a couple years back or so i think 2019 so some, Venezuel- uh, some people from Venezuela maids in the hotel maintaining some of the rooms and they had high quality positions and they're <clears throat> well-educated positions in Venezuela, but they had to flee. I think it was 98, 99, Hugo Chavez comes to power in Venezuela. And from that point on, it's just socialism and yeah. they're in shambles today. And you've yeah. got elements in America trying to destroy this country. And this is where Christianity comes in. Christians will determine the future of this country, Tyson, I totally believe. Mm-hmm. There are there is a remnant plant praying right now. And somebody asked yeah. me the other day, we we're looking at all these things. I mean, we've had over 60 million abortions. We've uh, all sorts of things that you see that right. don't seem to be right. When you look at the Judeo-Christian values, you know, the woke programs and and, and drag, uh, drag queens uh, teaching, you know, children in the libraries and so forth. And yeah. something doesn't seem to add up. And in other words, it's Hamlet. We, we might use a quote from Hamlet. Something is, is rotten in Denmark. <laughs> yeah. But in reference to Venezuela, they're in shambles today because of these policies. And there's people that want to take us in this direction. This is where Christians come in. Christians have got to continue to pray and intercede. There is a remnant out there that's praying right now in earnestness and sincerity. Yeah. I go back to Gideon 300. These are two things that come to my mind because somebody recently asked me saying, you know, how can, how could God turn this around? Well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, mm. this is important to look at. Gideon, 300, got the victory, but God started. More Israelites were available to ha- have Gideon to use, but God said, no, don't use that, don't use that, don't use that. They were all Israelites. Yeah. They came down to 300, and the 300 got the victory. And remember Abraham, when he said in reference to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, when Lot mm-hmm. was there, you know, if I can find 10 people, right. if 10 can find 10 people, will you destroy God? No, I won't. There is a remnant, Tyson, right now that is praying in earnestness. And there's probably many Christians praying like you haven't seen before. We have corporate yeah. prayer. No, my wife and I were on corporate prayer throughout the week. Yeah. And, and with uh, with corporate prayer calls and, and, and inter- continuing interceding, we've been interceding for months and months and months. That aside, my point is you could have a remnant to still get the job done, even if everybody's not participating. And you saw yeah. that with getting 300. <clears throat> and I believe that God is not done with our nation. I know there's a lot of doom and gloom prophecies out there, but I'm encouraging for any Christians listening to this, you continue yeah. to pray for America. All things are possible to those who believe it. And we're continuing to intercede for awakening, for hearts to change, for divine intervention, because the future for America is, is a horrible future if there is not divine intervention. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got off on that a little bit. I'm sorry, but I wanted to. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. We um, we actually, I was with a team just a couple of weeks ago. If I'm piggyback on this for a minute, I was sure. with a team from our church, and we went down to Costa Rica and did some mission work down in Costa Rica, and we came across um, downtown um, San Jose, Costa Rica, uh, several tents of Venezuelans making their way to the border, to the southern border. Um, and I don't care to get, don't care to get into all of that. Just simply say they were on their way from the oppression of the government starving them or the government killing their family members. And they're just, you know, by foot walking up through, um, and we happen to run into them and, 
you know, there was some really great conversation that happened between us and them. There was uh, one one lady had a baby that was six months old in ICU. <clears throat> True yes. story. Yes. Her baby was in ICU in the Costa Rican in the hospital there in San Jose. And we prayed for that baby. And the very next day, the baby was returned to her completely healed. Thank um, you, Gene. Yeah. And so we, we took food to them each night. Uh, one of the other people that were living in the tent was sick. And so down there in Costa Rica, you don't need a prescription to get antibiotics. Right. So we went, we purchased some antibiotics for them and, and got them on the mend before we left um, and just took care of them. Uh, because at the end of the day, like you were talking about when you were talking with the Russians or or whomever, at the end of the day, we're all human, right? Oh, yes. At, at the end of the day, we all have basic needs. We all have spiritual needs. And there's only one being, one person that's ever going to fulfill all of those needs completely, and that's Jesus. Um, but our responsibility as Christians is to care for our fellow human beings. Yes. Regardless of your politics. And I think sometimes we lose that. Um, I think sometimes we we forget that, and I don't want to get off into a political tangent. That's not what this show is about. But I, no, no, I, no. I do want to go back. I, I just wanted to say, you know, with the Venezuelan thing and the direction of their government has gone, and um, talking to them on the streets as they live in tents and alleys in, in San Jose, Costa Rica, um, you get a very different story. You get a very different story. Um, and so can, let's go back to, um, so you're still still in the seals um yeah. what yes yeah, you're hijacked uh you get through that uh what happens next in your life what's what's going on then well we we went back uh i proceeded uh you know still to do more years in the teens and uh as i'm doing that uh different commands i made it a career i left yeah. probably after 22 years we did uh, tours on both coasts three overseas tours during that time frame I proceeded, uh, I was, when I left the teams, there was a period of time, um, we were away, and I eventually, I started going back overseas again and support a Department of Defense or Department of State as a civilian. Okay. okay. And I know, I know, you know, for example, I, I was in Liberia in this kind of a capacity uh -huh. um, in 2008, for example, although I'd been in Afghanistan in 2005. I was uh, working in Kabul, Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I, I had the opportunity of, uh, you can see it here, with yeah. these two character books. I actually gave them. Yeah, those two books, yeah. I gave those to uh, President Hamid Karzai in September 2005 in the presidential palace in Kabul. Uh, he told me he would read them. He said, plenty of time. But that was my first uh, assignment in civilian capacity supporting of, of uh, Department of State operations. But in, in that tenure of time from like 2005 to 2011, I was still going overseas again. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I know that uh, <clears throat> during that time, I was helping train. For example, one of my positions was director of training in Liberia for the new forces in mm -hmm. Liberia. After the Charles Taylor years, if people are aware of the Charles Taylor years, there are a lot of atrocities done in Liberia. You can go to okay. Monrovia and you can see people missing arms, missing legs, and, and a lot of atrocities done. So the United States puts, if you will, paraphrased version, put uh -huh. pressure for Liberia to lessen their forces and we're raising up new forces. I see. And I was director of training about an hour at a camp outside of uh, Monrovia, helping train some Afghan, Afghan, excuse me, Liberian soldiers. Uh -huh. Sure into their army and so that was interesting uh i did uh some time in jubu sudan uh was training uh, certain missions there mm -hmm. and we did time in somalia for a couple months <clears throat> ogudisha somalia mm -hmm. uh, and so we had some interesting assignments uh some very interesting assignments during the course of that time so and as you're i'm sorry as you're going from place to place and doing this training um, what kind of things are you seeing? What's going through your mind? Um, is, well, I see how, a, go ahead. I see how, when I was in Liberia, I see how God provided some opportunities for me. I'm director of training. Yeah. I'm in charge of the camp. I'm about outside of Monrovia. And I had a, uh, a bishop that was assigned to the soldiers. 
And okay. I told that bishop, you invite me down to the church service on Sundays. And I came <laughs> down and he eventually had me speak at different times. And, uh, and, 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 and I appreciated those opportunities. But the second time I was in Afghanistan, in reference to some things I'm doing now that led into it, it said, uh, I, I, I remember I was in Afghanistan and I'm in Camp Park. I'm embedded with 3-4th Infantry Active Duty Army. Yeah. And so I'm civilian attire, but I'm there embedded with the Active Duty Army there. And, and we're helping train Afghan nationals and some other things going on there. So at Camp Park, I remember I'm inside the perimeter of the Hescos in the perimeter where we're at at the camp in Coast Province. It's southeast of Kabul. Mm-hmm. Ways. And I'm on the elliptical machine doing, doing some exercise. And I feel like God's speaking to me. It's time to start your ministry. Hmm. So I left when that tenure of time came, even though they wanted to keep me when I was processing out of Kabul to stay for another year. I left and I proceeded end of 2011 to start what I'm doing right now in a uh, full-time capacity. Gotcha. So, so that's what we're doing right now. God put it on my heart and yeah. he's opened doors for me in different places. And I'm trying to serve God to the best of my ability. That's awesome. So let me ask you then, as you make that transition from uh, active military life to then being a civilian and consulting and training and going into ministry, are there key things that, as people are listening to this, maybe God's calling them to make a transition or to make a change. Are there key things that you have learned uh, in your transitions, as God has led you through them, key things that you could pass on to them, uh, key points, well, lessons. Well, the important thing, and you highlighted a comment earlier, you know, <clears throat> we're going to set our mind on things above and on things on the earth. If anybody goes to Niagara Falls, yeah. you can see when that water from the Niagara River hits the gorge below, there's a mist that comes up. And as it gets to the surface of the river, a little bit higher, it dissipates. That's how life is. We're here for a season and we're yeah. gone. Eternity yeah. is forever. And we need to get a revelation. As Christian Christians, the Bible is our reference compass for life. So we stand on the Bible, but also as we develop our walks with God, we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if he puts things on our heart, we can also ask God for confirmations so we don't make a wrong decision I see. and go the wrong way. And I have a phrase too: let peace be your umpire. When we're praying about things, if something yes. doesn't seem Right, we need to look to our spirit because the spirit's trying to say, "Don't go that way." You know, you'll be making a mistake. And if you have peace, and you, if God leads you to do something, there'll be a peace within your spirit. <clears throat> and so, yeah. important to look to our spirits. Seek God. God wants to communicate to us. He loves us. The greatest desire for anybody listening to this, Christian, non-Christian, the greatest desire for anybody in their life that God has for them is for them to have an intimate relationship with him. Yes. Yes. And, and if you have an intimate relationship with God, then all these other things will fall into place. And, and the important thing is that we have his heart and do what he has called us to do. Uh, souls are in the balance, Tyson. Many are dying and going to hell. I talked uh, earlier in the week, last week. Well, okay, last week. I talked to a lady who told me she was a minister. Mm-hmm. And she said she was a seer. And we had some conversations. And uh, somehow I brought up Acts 4.12, Northern name, which man must be saved, but through Jesus Christ. So yeah. I said to her, you know, as we we're having conversations, and something she said sparked me to ask her a question. What's more important, truth or sincerity? And she said, they both are. I said, they are, but truth is more important. Yeah. Eternity is brutally frank. Now you might have political correctness, but eternity is going to be brutally frank. Acts yeah. 4, very clear because she made a point to me that different paths lead to heaven. Jesus is just one way, not always. And I said, Acts 4, 12 says, know the name which man must be saved, but through Jesus Christ, you get to heaven through Jesus or you don't get there. Yeah. You see, I'm not going to play political correctness games here. I'm going right. to be reality. And she said, you're doing all right up to that point until you told me that. I'm not trying to be argumentative with you. That's not my point. I'm just trying to get to the foundation of truth. One thing yeah. in reference to the Bible, and I did a book, Bulletproof, where I personalized my travels in the Middle East. I wanted a layman's version of a book I could put in somebody's hand who had the sincere question, is God real? Sure. I, I'm not looking at Haley's Handbook of the Bible 
to make my points, I'm looking at a layman's version that somebody can read. Right. And the title <clears> of the self title was prophetic fulfillment, archaeological evidence and science and common sense reasoning prove the Bible. And yeah. they should read that. If you read the book, you should come to that conclusion. Right. Uh, God's word bulletproof. But I personalized it too, to make it more palatable in reference to the read. Uh-huh. And, incorporate some experiences because i think i mentioned to you on this you and tour my free time if i didn't i use my free time to travel extensively in the middle east i went to yeah. places some places tour groups probably didn't go to okay. and, and and i used my free time whatever i could do and I, it would take a while to talk about that but i'm saying to this point as christians we've got to be about god's business we've got to do what god has called us to do with fervor and commitment and not be lukewarm this is the time for us to understand we're the Esthers of our day. And we've yes. got to live in light of eternity, like you alluded to earlier. Mm-hmm. And we've got to look to our spirits, be focused with God. God, what you're putting on my heart and follow God to the best of our ability and serve God with a whole heart, not partial. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. I, when, I, um, <clears throat> when I talk to people, I tell them, you know, I, I use the analogy of an alarm clock right? One day the alarm clock of life is going to go off. You're going to wake up from this life and it's going to, this life will feel like a dream and you will wake up into reality. And that reality is where you will be forever. So when the alarm clock goes off, you don't get to hit snooze and come back into this dream. It's over. It's just too late. You will wake up somewhere. So where are you waking up at? Um, And and I think a lot of people, Are concerned, and I don't. I really don't want to rabbit hole into this, but I am going to yeah, bring it yeah. up, <laughs> and that's okay. and, and that's that's you know um, that. Well, I forgot what I was going to say. Anyway, <laughs> oh, I know what it was. I, I know what it was. Um, that you know, I think a lot of people are really are you know they're they're scared of death. Like, what's going to happen, or is there a pain, or all of this stuff? And I tell them, no. You, it's literally like you just woke up from a sleep and you're somewhere, you know, you go, you go, there's no, there's no pain. There's no agony, um, in that process of dying, unless your body's in pain and you're dying from pain or something like that. Um, but the alarm clock goes off, you wake up, you had 80 years, 20 years, whatever it was to make a decision about what you were going to do with eternity. Yes. Right. And, you know, one of the things I tell people about that conversation you had with that, with that lady. Um, look, you can, you, I have an address to my house, yes. right? There's an address to my house. I live on a street. Now you yes. can get to that. You can get to that street from multiple other streets, right? Yes. But there's only one way to get to my house and it's on this street. Yes. So you might have, come, you might come through atheism, agnosticism, Buddhism. You might come from many different yes. roads. Like you came right military background. You can come from multiple different angles and, and angles to get to my road. You can come from multiple other roads, but at the end of the day, there's no, my driveway is only on one street. Yes. Um, and heaven is the same way. There's only one way. There's only one street by yes. which you're getting into heaven. Yes. Um, I guess that's why I, my wife told me the other day, she said, you know, there's a reason that there is a stairway to heaven and a highway to hell. Whoa, that's <laughs> a strong word. And it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, look, we could go on all day because we're both ministers and we could talk and talk and talk. Well, and I don't want to give you one point of what you're saying. Just yeah, go for it. One testimony. Go for it. It's, uh, 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 I see different pastors over the course of time. And one is Pastor Jerry Shore. He's actually from Illinois. Uh-huh. And I'm going to give you his testimony for those listening to piggyback to what you just said. And he said he was 36 years old. He's about 67, 68, 69 today. But Jerry's a pastor today. At that time, he was not a pastor. He's 36 years old. And his mother is in the room with him. She's lying down. She's up in her older years. And she's ready to go into eternity. Now, Jerry said he wasn't asking for this. But vividly, mm-hmm. he was shown the spiritual realm. He saw his mother lift from the body. His mother's face transcended into a youthful appearance, radiant, beaming, Hmm. beaming with a radiance. And she smiled at Jerry. And then he said, Jesus took her by the hand. Jesus turned his head toward Jerry, smiled, took his mother into eternity. Now, Jerry will tell you that was very vivid, like seeing us if we were in a room and you're seeing people next to you. It was very vivid. 
Now, mm-hmm. the point is what you're saying. It's like taking off a coat and stepping to eternity. Death, where is your sting? Yes, absolutely. And if she didn't have a relationship with Jesus, so she was a strong Christian, what your wife said, that is true. You go yeah. the other way. Yeah, I, I will never forget. We were living in Oklahoma. I was 15 years old and my great grandfather was passing away. <clears throat> and so we came back here to Indiana to see him. He was in ICU. And I will never forget um, that. I mean, this had such an impact on me at 15 years old. We walked in the room. My great grandma was in there. My great grandfather, obviously in the bed. And then my parents and my sister, and they lost him. Like he flatlined for, for a while, yeah. for a while. Yeah. Um, and then they brought him back and he opened his eyes and he looked at my great grandmother and he said, I've been there and I'm ready to go. I don't want to be here. That's a testimony. And, and of course she, she cried. She was, it was like bittersweet, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yes. For her, for her. And um, within 24 hours, he was gone. He made the decision. I'm out of here. And it yeah. was within 24 hours, he was like, I'm going, I'm out of here. I got to, I got to go there. You know, when we all know where there is heaven. Um, but he was gifted something like this gentleman you're talking about. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was given there's a nothing, gift. Tyson, there's nothing more important. I know that. And you know that there's nothing more important in our life than have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So anybody who's listening, there's nothing more important. There's no U-Haul trailer behind anybody's first. <laughs> you know, when you check out, it's going to be between you and God. Yep. Yep. So, all right. Well, listen, what was the book you mentioned? I want to make sure and get that in the show notes. I think you said Bulletproof or? Well, there's, there's one, God's Word, Bulletproof. That's this one right here. Okay. That's the Bible with a light over it. Prophetic fulfillment, archaeological evidence, science, and common sense reasoning prove the Bible, God's word, bulletproof. The first book when I was talking about was Stand Up for God, you know, something good for somebody living in the military. As a Navy SEAL tried it on it. Stand yeah. up for biblical principles learned in a military career. Yeah, that's actually in my Amazon cart right now. Oh, well, <laughs> it's it's not a, a detailed book, but it's an easy book to read. And it's something to plant seeds into somebody trying to live for God. Because yeah. in military their language is full of profanity, like a lot of mm-hmm. places. And there's a lot of avenues there the devil will try to use to take a young Christian off their course in life. Yeah. Well, I will make sure and get those books in the show notes um, for sure. So, well, listen, Mike, I really appreciate you having you on today. I appreciate your story, your life. Um, I appreciate what you're doing for the kingdom and what you have done and are doing for our country. Stay at it. Um, again, thanks for being on, man. Yeah, hey, listen, Tyson, pleasure. I appreciate it. Anytime you want to do it in the future, there's a lot of things we can talk about. <laughs> All but right, the awesome. Point is, the point is, in your life, in my life, anything we are or ever hope to be, we owe to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he gets all the praise for the good things. It's true. It's true. Amen. Thanks. Yep. Amen. Amen. Thanks. All right. Thank you, sir. That was a great interview with retired SEAL Commander Mike M. Hoff. I am so grateful for Men and women like him that serve in our military, uh, Mike has definitely a strong faith and belief in Jesus Christ. I'm sure that came across. Of course, we're both in ministry, and you get two ministers together, and we could just talk and talk and talk. But there's a few things there that Mike said that I want to pull out, and the first one is perseverance, and this idea of persevering and pushing on. The Bible tells us that perseverance creates character, and that if we don't persevere, we will end up with flaws in our character. Um, and you can think through multiple scenarios in which that would be the case. So it's so important that if you're a parent, that you're teaching your child to persevere. Um, if you want to grow in your character, you learn to persevere. You learn to push on and go forward. And then the other thing that uh, Mike said is that we need to be devout and strong in our beliefs and understand um, what we believe, uh, that everything that we go through in life is character development and that we stay with things. Again, getting back to that, I guess, getting back to that perseverance. And so, listen, I would love to hear from you. Um, if you are persevering through a transition right now, let me know. Tyson at TysonPriest.com would love to hear from you. Would love to serve as your coach to help you get through that transition. Also, feel free to visit my website, TysonPriest.com. There are a few things there that you can use to climb your mountain, to own your mountain, to get through it, to stand on top of the mountain of your dreams and 
own it. So go to TysonPriest.com, download either one of those. There is a 30-day Ferocious Faith Challenge to help you grow spiritually, and then there is also a PDF workbook to help you in your transition, in your career transition, to help you identify the things that you need to do to make a successful transition. As Mike said, let peace be the umpire of your heart. Make sure you have peace about it. I get that question so much. That is, well, how do I know I'm ready to make a change? How do I know what's right? Well, the Bible says that peace will serve as an umpire to make the calls in your life. And so it's important that we allow the peace of God, those things that you have peace about, allow them allow that peace to lead you. So, so important. So again, Tyson at TysonPriest.com. I would love to hear from you. Be sure to rate this podcast, whatever uh, platform that you're listening to it on, be it Google Play, Spotify, um, Audacity, Apple Podcasts, however you're listening to this, would you please rate this podcast? Uh, The better the ratings, the more visibility this podcast get. Again, thank you for listening. Until next week, climb the mountain of your dreams and own it out.